It is Thursday, July 29th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. This is episode seven of our divisional preview series. It is time to hit the NFC East. But before we jump in, I want to tell you about some big things coming up on DraftSharks.com and our various channels. Our big three annual article series is set to hit the site next week. Start hitting the site, at least. It's not all coming at you at once. Comeback player, first round bust, breakout player. Jared, those are some of our most um, popular articles. They date back to before I was with the site. People have been asking us lately when they're coming out. I think first round bust has been around since the very first year of draft sharks back, back in 1999. Not sure about the other ones. You know, I wasn't around in 1999 either. Um, but yeah, they're all coming next week. We're still debating a few of them. You know, they're, they're always tough, important articles that, you know, we kind of, kind of defines our, our, our season. I think, you know, how those three articles do. Uh, these tend to be debated even after they've been chosen and started to be written. There's, it's just that people tell the one person who's dissenting to shut up and we're going to move forward with that player anyway. But yeah, they're still still in contention, but they will start coming out to the site next week. Also coming next week, Draft Sharks Invitational Drafts will take place next week and the one after. We will live stream all six of them. So join us on our YouTube channel Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night each week. Lots of big names, analysts, serious fantasy players. Of course, we had the first one last year. Peter Overset won that one. We'll see if he can win a second title. Somebody's probably going to knock him down if we're just playing the odds in this second year. But both you and I will have drafts coming up. That's going to be a fun time. Yeah, pump for those. You know, not not only because the of the unique format, format, but just you know all the studly fantasy players in there. I'm just always curious to see you know how all these guys build their teams. Tonight on that YouTube channel, I will be back here to talk about to talk to Abib Agbatoba, who, you know, talking about Pete winning our contest once, Abib has won the Football Guys Championship two years in a row. So obviously he knows what he's doing in drafting fantasy football teams. We'll talk to him about some of his strategy. We're also going to recap the FFPC main event league that he and I both took part in the draft of recently. So Come on back for that. Of course, I'll be putting that out as a podcast as well, so you can find it on our usual channels. For now, let's go ahead and jump into the NFC East. We're going to start with the Dallas Cowboys, and it's kind of easy because on the relevant coaching changes front, there's nothing. The coaches are the same. The team looks exciting, and the big return is, of course, the quarterback. Yeah, we think, right? I mean, you know, the, the big story now is the, is the shoulder injury for Dak. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we can get into that once we hit Dak. But, you know, all indications are it's pretty minor. It should be out there. I'm just freaking praying for a healthy season from this Cowboys offense because I, you know, I think and it, it, it could be the best offense in the NFL if they stay healthy this season. Yeah, we'll talk about Dak a little bit more in a minute. But um, moving on to the run-pass split, we've had Kellen Moore now for a couple of seasons across different coaching staffs. We had Mike McCarthy's first year last year. This is going to be a pass-leaning offense. If it didn't lean pass, if it doesn't go 60-plus percent pass, it's doing it wrong. Just looking at the personnel on this team, they have three wideouts who could be number one wide receivers for a lot of teams around the league. So this should be a pass-friendly offense. As I mentioned, Dak Prescott is back healthy. Last year, the Cowboys ranked top half of the league in pass heaviness despite losing Dak Prescott in the middle of the fifth game. They went 66-34 pass run. In Dak Prescott games, they part of that was them going one and three over the first four games. Mm-hmm. And then they had to beat the Giants in a shootout in the game that Prescott left early. I think we're still going to see that kind of Cowboy season this year. There will be plenty more shootout conditions. The defense still has a lot to prove. I think there are going to be a lot of points, a lot of balls thrown. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think as you alluded to, that some of the pass heaviness in those four DAC games was because of the scoreboard. And, you know, Dallas was falling behind like big in, in all of those games. But even in those four games, um, they were 56% pass in, in neutral situations. That was ninth highest in the NFL you know, over that span. So I think they're going to be, you know, at least a, a, a top 10 offense as far as pass heaviness goes this season, if not, you know, as pass heavy as they were in those four games with Dak. Yeah, when I projected them, I went 63-37. That would have ranked top five in pass heavy last season. I think anything in that 60, probably 60 to 63 range is is solid. Yep, 62% is what I went with. QB notes, Dak Prescott, as you mentioned, he's back from the ankle injury that ended last year. The reports on the ankle have been good. He started training camp on time, but now he's got a shoulder strain. So I guess before we get to that, you don't really need to make the case for Dak Prescott when he's healthy for fantasy. I mean, he made that case last year. Granted, it was a small sample. It was a quarter of the season, but in a historically high scoring quarterback season, he was scoring a point and a half more per game than everybody else at the position over that small sample. So even if he comes back from that, he could come back from that and still lead the position overall. So He's somewhere in that top five, top six mix, has the upside to lead the position. But the current question is the right shoulder. It's a mild strain, they're saying. Um, The Dallas Morning News had a report that this kind of injury typically takes a couple weeks to heal. Both the Cowboys and Dak Prescott are saying they hope that the next few days will be enough, that it's going to be a day-to-day thing where they check him each day, treat it, and see how soon he can return. Yeah, and uh, head coach Mike McCarthy said today that, you know, they're still hoping, you know, planning to play him in, in the preseason. So, you know, that would suggest they're not concerned about it. Uh, Dak was actually out there for practice today, not throwing, but at least, you know, kind of jogging around, you know, going through some handoffs and that type of stuff. Um, I talked to my brother, who's a physical therapist about the injury. He said it's not a big worry. So at this point, I'm not adjusting any expectations for Dak. If he's still not throwing, you know, by the second half of August, I think, you know, we can start to worry then. But as of now, I, I don't think there's any impact here. Yeah, I agree with that. No adjustments for me on Dak. He's he's a top, at least a top four quarterback. It's tough to say between two and three on the board. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot separating Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, and all of those guys certainly have the upside to unseat Patrick Mahomes as a top quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think I would th- throw uh, Lamar Jackson in there too. So I mean, it's tough to separate those four guys. You know, D- Dak, by the way, he finished quarterback two in 2019 You know, without C.D. Lamb. Um, so, it, you know, it's not just that four-game sample we have from, from last season. Mm-hmm. Running back notes, Ezekiel Elliott disappointed last year, as anybody who drafted him knows, posted by far the fewest fantasy points per game and rushing yards per game of his career. Career lows in yards per carry and yards per catch. The advanced metrics, though, looked a little bit more similar to his previous seasons. So, I mean, overall, I, I we'll have to see whether last year was – Um, the start of his decline, or just a matter of all these factors coming together to work against him. You definitely cannot argue, though, that the offensive line was a major factor in Zeke Elliott disappointing fantasy owners. They they were without most of the line for most of the year. Tyron Smith was out 14 games. Lyle Collins missed the whole year. Zach Martin missed six games. Travis Frederick retired. He was the center. So, I mean, the only remaining – the only guy who played – more than 10 games last year on the O-line was, uh, I believe, the weakest link as far as like PFF grades have shown us. Uh, Dallas's O-line still ranked uh, 12th in adjusted line yards. They were 18th in PFF run blocking grades. So it wasn't like it was a disaster. It was definitely a step down from what it had been. I wonder if motivation was an issue for Zeke last year after Dak Prescott went down, you know, obviously for the season and, you know, the quarterback play they dealt with. I wonder if, you know, he just wasn't fully in it. 
everything we've seen and heard over the past few months has been positive on Zeke. He, he still you know, just turned 26 years old about a week ago. So I, you know, I'm not really worried about a decline. You know, I think some people are, are worried about Tony Pollard stealing touches. I'm not super concerned about that. Consider just, just considering how much money they're, they're paying Zeke and how good he's been for them. If he gets that volume in this offense, even if he's not the same guy he was two years ago, I mean, I think he's a lock top 10 fantasy back and a pretty good bet for a top five finish. You know, if this Cowboys offense again, stays healthy and is as good as we think it can be. Yeah. And I agree with not worrying about Tony Pollard. He's still a handcuff with Zeke Elliott on the field last year. Pollard saw just 21.8% of Dallas carries 5% of Dallas targets. Compare that with about 60% for Zeke in his 15 games, 11.7% target share. Pollard's not a challenger. He's a nice guy to have around. He will get some touches, but he's not shoving Zeke aside no matter what your favorite Twitter pundit says about Tony Pollard being the best running back in Dallas. It's just not true. Um, On to pass catcher notes, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup. As I said, any of those guys could be the top receiver for a lot of teams around the league. Having all of them together certainly helps me get excited about Dak Prescott. At the same time, it kind of scares me for buying too heavily into any of the wideouts. Yeah, and I think they all have their issues. Um, I mean, Amari Cooper, obviously, it's it's the ankle thing. Um, he had surgery in January, and you know what we heard is it was just a cleanup procedure, but he's been sidelined since. He didn't practice in the spring. He opened training camp on the pup list. Jerry Jones said he's not expected to practice until mid-August, so – you know, we'll see. Hopefully he gets on the field mid-August, you know, has a has a um, healthy final three weeks, you know, leading up to the season. And then we can, you know, feel better about him. He's been awesome as a cowboy. You know, he finished wide receiver 15 last year despite Dak's injury. He was actually leading all receivers in fantasy points through the uh, first four weeks with Dak. And then back in 2019, Cooper finished wide receiver 10. So, you know, he to me looks like a wide receiver one if he's healthy. But, you know, that that kind of has been the issue with him throughout his career. Right. There have been health issues. The ankle, I mean, from surgery in January to not being ready to start training camp is definitely a concern for me, no matter what the Cowboys say about it. We'll see once he returns. And certainly there's room for him to turn that around before the season starts. But I mean, it's especially worrisome with CeeDee Lamb there. I was leaning toward trusting Amari Cooper Mm -hmm. as the lead receiver because he has put up huge numbers with Dak Prescott, because he's delivered now across two franchises, been a good player in the NFL. But I I can't touch Amari Cooper at the moment because of the ankle injury where he's still going. He's still going round three, round four range. That should make me lean towards CeeDee Lamb, I guess. And I like the player Mm -hmm. very much there, but he's now up to wide receiver 10 in FFPC drafting mid round three ADP. And that is in a format, the FFPC that that slightly devalues wide receivers with just the two sp- starting spots at that position with tight end premium scoring. Just, I guess seeing CD lamb there just makes me uneasy. He, I, I believe that he's the kind of player who has that kind of wide receiver one upside in him. I just don't know what the target count looks like. I guess lamb and AJ Brown are very similar in that, if either or both of them finishes this season among the top eight, I wouldn't be like, how did that happen? But I worry about their target shares for where they're going in drafts. Yeah. That's my issue with lamb too. And, and again, you know, that's assuming a healthy Amari Cooper in those four full DAC games to start last season, Amari Cooper saw 51 targets. CD lamb saw 29. Michael Gallup saw 24. So you know, again, small sample, but it was Cooper, the clear one. And then, you know, lamb and Gallup kind of fighting for the two, three. Now lamb's, problem last year what held him back a bit was he was basically just a slot receiver for Dallas he played 91 percent of his snap of his snaps in the slot 
So kind of as a result, he only played 64% of Dallas's offensive snaps because, you know, they're, they're, they don't have three wide receivers on the field at all times. And, and, uh, and, you know, Lamb was coming off the field when they weren't going three wide. So the, all the talk this offseason has been about Lamb moving to the outside, at least some this year, which makes sense. I mean, you know, he was a rookie last year in that COVID shortened offseason. So I think they kind of wanted him to just focus on one position. If he does move to the outside now, if he is on the field for, you know, those two wide receiver sets, you know, then it's definitely possible that he, you know, overtakes Cooper as Dallas's number one wide out. Yeah, so much buzz around him this offseason. I would not be shocked if he takes over as their top scoring wideout. The problem is you can be the top scoring wideout in Dallas and still be wide receiver 15 overall because they just have so many guys to get the ball to. So I won't argue you down from taking Lamb in round three, but uh, he's not my guy in that range. I can't take him over players like Allen Robinson, (laughs) Keenan Allen in that range, for example. Yeah, I was going to say Allen Robinson is the one guy I just I can't get myself to take Lamb over Robinson. Yeah, and we'll mention him again in regards to another wide receiver later in this show. Michael Gallup. Haven't talked about as much yet. I like the player very much. I should probably probably like drafting him more, but similarly, there are just too many wide receivers around him in ADP with ceilings that are at least as good, if not better, you know, with chances to lead their teams in receiving. I can't get excited about Gallup. I mean, even Gallup versus somebody like Mike Williams, very similar, I think, in outlooks, but Williams is number two on his team versus Gallup probably being third. And Mike Williams is the Chargers' top end zone option where we can't really say the same thing about Gallup. Yeah, I mean, t- to me, even like Gallup and Mike Williams, they're they're, they're neck and neck same tier for me. It, it's, you know, someone like Tyler Boyd, who I can't take Gallup over just because I think, you know, Boyd is is, is just going to see a bigger share of Bengals targets, I believe. You know, some people might not with Jamar Chase there now. But, you know, Boyd comes ahead pretty clearly of Gallup for me in my projections. You know, Gallup was, you know, Dallas uses him as their downfield guy. And obviously with their quarterback issues last season, you know, that, that it hurt Gallup the most because, you know, Dalton and the rest of those guys just couldn't really find him downfield. I think Dak will be able to, I think Gallup's going to have spike weeks. Um, but I agree. I think he is the pretty clear number three wide receiver here. So even in a pass heavy offense, that's going to lead to some, you know, week to week volatility. Oh yeah. There's definitely going to be week to week volatility. It's a volatile position. So we can deal with that a little bit more. And I don't dislike Gallup and I don't think that he's mispriced at ADP, just not somebody that I'm specifically targeting his He did do well on the target front, even after Dak went down last year. So he's staying involved and it should be better for him to have Dak back healthy, assuming the shoulders. Okay. Um, Last on the pass catcher front, we got Blake Jarwin versus Dalton Schultz. I think it's going to bear watching during camp. There's been a little bit of murmur. Dalton Schultz isn't ready to turn the job back over. He was fine for last year's conditions, but I think he was more so the guy who fell into volume last year than somebody who really produced. Jarwin is certainly is making more money, and he's certainly the more dynamic athlete, and even the Cowboys and their beat writers will acknowledge that. So, I mean, I don't care that much about this competition. I'm not looking at either guy higher than low tight end two territory. But Jarwin is definitely the ceiling play here. So I'm hoping that he emerges ahead of Dalton Schultz at the position so that we can maybe get toward the ceiling that we were hoping to get from Jarwin last season. Yeah, Schultz was definitely a product of volume last season. If you look at some of the efficiency stuff, so there were 34 tight ends that saw 40 plus targets last season. Schultz ranked uh, 23rd among those 34 in PFF receiving grade. He was 26th among those 34 in yards per route run. He's a young guy, so he might you know, still be getting better. Um, you know, there's been some buzz on him early in training camp, but uh, like you said, Blake Jarvin got that pretty 
sizable contract last offseason. I believe it was, you know, Dallas could have just kept him as like a restricted free agent tender, but they gave him that extension instead. So they were obviously high in him at that point. Torn ACL came in week one. So, you know, he'll be a full year removed from that when this season kicks off. He avoided pup list open training camp. So I'm expecting Jarman to be the guy here. But, you know, again, like you said, it's going to bear watching. And hopefully it doesn't turn into a committee and, you know, kind of leaves both guys without fantasy value. Yes, and that's why I wouldn't go overboard chasing Jarwin this year. I was more excited about him certainly last year. There's certainly the volume question for him, as we've mentioned, with other Cowboys pass catchers. If we can get Blake Jarwin to 80 targets, though, I think he has top 12 upside. For sure, yep. Who I like, there's really nobody that I'm chasing ahead of ADP here because I think that people are appropriately excited about the Cowboys offense. I am buying Zeke Elliott anywhere from four on in the first round and, and also considering him as high as third in round one. I'll definitely take some Dak, maybe a little bit less zealously this week if I'm drafting than other weeks with the shoulder, but uh, you know, I'm not changing my outlook for him significantly. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with Dak. I mean, I haven't done a fast draft since, um, you know, the news of his shoulder broke. I'm in a couple slow ones, so we'll see where he ends up. I, I have drafted a, a ton of Dak Prescott already. Um, again, I just think he's right there with Josh Allen and Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson and a lot of times he, you know, he'll be, you know, the the third or fourth among those four to get picked. And again, you're just, you know, you're you're soaking up all those great wide receivers, you know, by by just drafting Dak Prescott. So he's been my favorite cowboy. I'm, I'm with you, Zeke. You know, Zeke is either the third or fourth pick in non tight end premium leagues. Michael Gallup, he, you know, he's wide receiver 43, so he's definitely worth shots there, especially with this Amari Cooper injury. You know, if, if Cooper misses time then Gallup becomes an obvious weekly starter, you know, potentially even like a wide receiver too. So, you know, he, he's worth taking shots on at that price tag. And then you, the other two receivers, you know, Lamb, again, I haven't taken a lot of just because of that ADP. I can't take, as you said, uh, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen over him. And then Cooper is a guy I'm going to have to back off for now because um, you know, he's a guy I, throughout the offseason I've drafted quite a bit of in like round four, even late round three. But, um, you know, the, the ankle has definitely become a concern. Yeah, there's nobody I truly dislike, but I, I'm backing off of Cooper as well until he's back from the ankle injury. As I said, a little apprehensive on CeeDee Lamb. I'm pulling back on CeeDee Lamb, but I am a little bit worried that, you know, I mm-hmm. miss out on something special with him. I think he does have that kind of upside this year, even though it's tough to see the path to enough targets. But again, there's nobody here I truly dislike, and I do think I, I probably have not drafted enough Michael Gallup because – He's kind of like the running back that has the standalone value, like Chase Edmonds, where he has the standalone value. And also there's handcuff upside if, you know, Cooper's ankle remains an injury into the season or if CeeDee Lamb goes down at some point. There's certainly room for Michael Gallup to get more targets. We both liked him quite a bit coming into the league as a prospect. And I think Mm -hmm. that he has showed why in his years with Dallas so far. Yeah, contract year for him too, which never hurts. Um, Yeah, next time you're thinking about taking Mike Williams, just, you know, pivot to – to Gallup. I'll try. And actually, Michael Gallup might be a good time to look into his value in dynasty leagues because, as you mentioned, it is a contract year. They can't pay everybody. So there's a, a decent shot that Michael Gallup gets paid somewhere else and rises up the depth chart. Yep. Agreed. New York Giants. Relevant coaching changes here, Jared. Anything that we need to note? Nope. It's uh, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett back for a year two. And year, year one did not go well um last year's giants finished 31st in total yards 31st in points they were 26th in football outsiders offensive dvoa um you know they were a slower paced offense they were 21st in pace 19th in situation uh, neutral pace they were 30th in plays um now of course they they had the saquon barkley injury um they they added some pieces that we'll talk about so there's 
there's definitely a chance for this unit to rebound, but um, they, they have a long way to go from what we saw last year. Yeah, they do have a long way to go. They do have talent. They upgraded the talent this year. We'll get to some of those guys. I, I mean, it's unfortunate that there's no OC change because Jason Garrett looked like he was holding this group back last year, but he's back. We'll see if we can do a better job the second time around. What do you have on the run pass split front? Yeah, so they were uh, 58.7% pass last year, which is you know right around the middle of the pack. I took them down a little bit to 57.5% pass this year, really just with, you know, Saquon Barkley expected back. I think that, you know, the running game should be better. That's someone they're going to want to lean on. Jason Garrett throughout his time in Dallas was, was, you know, very flexible. He was pass leaning early on when he had Tony Romo, and then he, he leaned more on the run, especially early on in Dak Prescott's career. So there, there's no real trend with Jason Garrett. So, again, I'm kind of just adjusting the pass rate down a bit with Saquon Barkley coming back. Jason Garrett is like white bread. He doesn't stand out flavor wise. He's going to take on whatever's around him as a flavor. Last year's Giants, as you mentioned, 58.7% pass as a six and 10 team. The 2019 Cowboys went 58 42 as an eight and eight team. I went 58 42. I think they're just going to be, you know, somewhere in the middle. I expect this year's Giants to be at least a little bit better record wise than that six and 10 last year because the defense looks pretty good. There's talent on offense and things really went about as poorly as they possibly could have on offense last year. So, I mean, they should score more points just by sheer luck this <laughs> year than they did last year. So somewhere in that range, 58-42 is where I have them. Yep, we're on the same page. QB notes, Daniel Jones, as I mentioned last year, went about as poorly as it could have for him. 29th in fantasy points per game, 26th in yards per attempt, 31st in completion rate, 31st in touchdown rate, lost two-plus games to injury, dealt with that hamstring. Jones... Climbed, though, from 25th to 18th in PFF passing grade, 27th to 11th in Q- among QBs in rushing grade. Pro Football Focus also said he improved dramatically as a deep passer, which is worth noting with some of the enhancements they had in the offseason. He jumped from 32nd in adjusted completion rate on deep balls to 8th in that category, 24th in deep passing grade to 3rd. Also cut down on his turnovers, so... If you just look at the fantasy points and his overall stats, it looks like Daniel Jones was terrible last year, but there are some signs of growth if you look a little deeper. There are. Um, and you know what, what killed him in fantasy beyond the injuries that cost him, you know, two games and parts of a couple more. Um, what, what killed him was the touchdown rate, 2.5%. That was 29th among 30 qualifying quarterbacks. And just put that in perspective, the league wide average touchdown rate over the last three seasons is 4.7%. So, you know, basically double what Jones did last year. And and Jones had a 5.2% touchdown rate as a rookie. So it's not like he's incapable of, you know, at least posting a league average touchdown rate. So, you know, that should rebound, um, especially considering they add Kenny Galladay, you know, they get Saquon Barkley back. They added Kadarius Tony. I'm not you know, sure what he's going to contribute this season. They also added Kyle Rudolph and they return Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. So you know, it's a pretty nice group of pass catchers. And then the, the last thing to like about Jones is the rushing ability. He was seventh among quarterbacks in rushing yards per game last year. He was actually fifth if you remove uh, Marcus Mariota and John Wolford and you know, just played a game apiece. So you don't think of Jones as, you know, that that rushing threat. But, you know, he was right up there near the top of the, of the league as far as rushing quarterbacks go. Yeah, he's like an Aaron Rodgers kind of rushing threat or Andrew Luck. He's not yeah. looking to run, but he can do it if, there, if there's a lane. Um, and we don't have to 
you know, project the fantasy upside as much as we might with some other guys. He showed it to us as a rookie, 15th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game that season. Certainly, I think the upside to get there with some of the additions that they have made that, that we'll get further into as we get to the other positions. But I, I like Daniel Jones where he's going in drafts. Me too. Running back note, Saquon Barkley, as we mentioned, is back. There's no question on the talent. The questions are, when will the knee be ready? Uh, the signs point to him being limited to start the season. We're going to have to track that throughout the summer, though, and see where we're at as the season draws closer. The other question, I think, is what will the target share look like? He was at 14.5% when on the field back in 2019. Of course, we barely saw any Barkley last year to gauge him in Jason Garrett's offense. In 2018, when he had that huge rookie season, he saw 20.75% of Giants targets. I mean, that's an outlandish number normally for mm-hmm. – Uh, running back and we cannot expect anything close to that number if he drops far below the 14 and a half percent of 2019 which I definitely think is possible then I think you lose some more of what has been Saquon Barkley's edge so far yeah I mean I think this is the toughest target competition he'll face since he's been a pro and I I I I tend to think that you know good players like Barkley kind of own their target share and if he's healthy if he's a full go I think he'll at least be around that 14% 14% mark and it'll be, you know, the targets will come away from guys like Darius Slayton, potentially Sterling Shepard. So I'm not super, super concerned about the target share. I'm obviously concerned about the knee. Um, you know, the injury happened on September 20th, but he didn't get surgery surgery until October 30th. So you know, October 30th is basically when his rehab timeline started. And obviously, you know, he is not ready to go yet because he's, he's on the pup list and there's you know talk that he's going to be limited or not even play early on this season. The other concern is the O-line still, which, you know, really has been an issue since Barkley came into the league, but it looks like it's going to be an issue again this season. You know, the Giants were 23rd in PFF run blocking grade last year, 21st in adjusted line yards. They're getting tackled. Nate Solder back, who, you know, he opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID. But they also lost guard Kevin Zeitler, who was, you know, a league average run blocking guard last season, according to PFF. And, you know, league average is something that the Giants would take, but he's gone now. So I don't I don't think this O-line is going to be any better than it was last season. Yeah, certainly not a plus potential to be a negative. I'm not going to downgrade Barkley too much for that, because like you said, he's a really good player capable mm-hmm. of overcoming that. And frankly, if they can't run the ball, they'll probably be throwing it more and he'll be involved in that. So. I, I, I hope he gets back on the field so that we can at least evaluate him as a player and not have to guess on the level of the knee, but we'll see where that goes. I suppose if I'm so nervous about Saquon Barkley, though, especially in round one, I should probably like Devontae Booker a little bit more. He does yeah. look like he's among the better handcuff picks in drafts right now, given the state of Barkley's knee. I'm I'm not interested in cuffing Booker to Barkley because that is not a backfield I'm looking to own. And, you know, we and plenty of others have talked about how the greater value in handcuffs is drafting other players' handcuffs rather than cuffing your own uh, lead running backs. As it is, the Giants prioritize getting Devontae Booker in free agency. They clearly believe that he's an upgrade over Wayne Gallman and the other guys that were behind Barkley last year. They paid him like the Falcons paid Mike Davis. So they wanted Booker. They like him. Booker's fine as a backup. Probably somebody I should add a few shares of here and there. Yeah, I mean, not an exciting talent and not you know, an exciting offense to be in, but you know, he, he's a capable pass catcher, and he'd get the rushing volume, I think, if you know Barkley is out early on in the season. And I mean, Booker tends to be hanging around at like the very end of underdog drafts, you know, eighteen round drafts. I, I do think he is a guy you should be considering late. Pass catcher notes: Kenny Galladay 
Looks like, well, he's definitely the new number one. You can just check his salary for that. He's never <laughs> been a target hog, though. He's never reached 22% target share in a season. Only one partial season so far where he reached 21%. Joins a Giants group that's a little bit crowded. Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, all over 17% last year. We mentioned Saquon Barkley's coming back. He has been a target hog versus other running backs through his two mostly full seasons. The Giants were just 22nd in wide receiver target share in the league last year. You would expect that number to come up after they signed Galladay and drafted Kadarius Toney, but, you know, we'll see as they kind of balance all the pieces they have. Yeah, I'm with you on all that stuff. Um, you know, 119 targets was, was Galladay's high in Detroit. I, I think you know, overall he's facing tougher target competition in New York now, just when you look at the, you know, the, the number of pieces in this passing game. It's a quarterback downgrade from, you know, Matt Stafford to Daniel Jones. I think so. I mean, the, the thing is, though, all, all of that is sort of priced into Galladay's ADP. Like I started th- this offseason thinking I was going to be way out on Galladay. But, you know, he's going in wide receiver three range now. So I actually don't mind. I think I think he's priced about right. Yes, I agree with that. I started the season thinking, well, I'm not going to get any Galladay. And then everybody else said it, too. So I'm like, all right, I'll put some Galladay in there, especially at best ball time. And you're looking at him in an offense where he should be the top end zone threat. We'll see what that means with Daniel Jones as the quarterback and Jason Garrett as the white bread offensive coordinator, but Galladay has shown that he can deliver in that area. So I think he's at, at very least an attractive wide receiver three for best ball teams and certainly has that kind of uh, appeal, even in lineup setting leagues as well. The other guys, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, the next two, it looks like it'll be Darius Slayton across from Galladay and wide receiver threat in wide receiver three sets with Sterling Shepard in the slot in those. Who do you think is going to be the the number two in targets among those guys, though, for this team? Yeah, you're right that, you know, the reports are that's going to be Slayton on the outside, Shepard back in the slot. You, you know, Shepard started his career as a primary slot receiver, and, and his slot rate has sort of dwindled over the past few seasons. Um, but he's going back into the slot this year. I think the question is who's going to be on the field when they go to two wide receivers. I do think we're going to see a lot of, you know, two wide receiver sets from the Giants because they return Evan Ingram, they gave Kyle Rudolph, a pretty big deal. So I think they're going to have two tight ends on the field a lot, which means two wide receivers. So if Shepard is in the slot in three wide receiver sets and then kicks outside in two wide receiver sets, I think he's definitely the, you know, the second giants wide receiver that you want to draft. But I think there's a chance that it's Slayton on, on the outside. So, you know, both of them are super cheap. Um, Shepard's a guy I've actually taken a decent amount of time to, you know, never exciting to draft, but no one wants to take him. And, you know, he's, he's pretty consistently been like a wide receiver three, in fantasy throughout his career. And I think, you know, there's a chance that he could still be that again this season. Yeah. I mean, he saw 24% of giants targets leading the team last year in his healthy games. He's, he's medicine. At some point you just have to take it because it's yeah. good for you where he's going. Mm-hmm. And both he and Slayton are going 70 or later among wide receivers in ADP. So there's really no risk to taking either one. If you prefer Slayton for his downfield ability, that's fine as well. We're going to have to watch, as you said, to see which one is the second receiver in two wide sets. I would guess Shepard right now, but it could be Slayton, and I would not be shocked. Nope, me either. They are paying Shepard more. I think it was last September where they extended him. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before yeah. that, but it was fairly recent where they extended his contract. Yeah, and I mean, he was an earlier round pick. You know, Slayton was, what was he, a fifth rounder. And Slayton, by the way, his his play and a lot of his, P- his PFF grade, his yards per route run, all, all declined from his rookie season. He was just 61st among 87 qualifying wideouts and yards per route run last season. So, you know, he might just be kind of the situational deep threat. And, you know, and then again, Shepard would be that second wide receiver. Yeah. He flashed as a rookie, but it's entirely possible that we've already seen the best of Darius Slayton for fantasy yeah. use. Evan Ingram, the last guy to talk about here 
remains among the top athletes at tight end. And that's certainly um, worth noting as you think about his upside. Really seemed poorly used last year by Garrett. And it seemed like Garrett even admitted that at some point. But if you look back at this point, Ingram's average depth of target actually climbed over his previous two seasons. Career low in yards per route run. There was some receiving efficiency that wasn't great last year. Also had just one touchdown catch which is some bad luck, also some poor usage, plus one mm-hmm. rushing touchdown, helped boost the score a little bit. But I I want to like Evan Ingram more, especially <laughs> seeing that he's going outside the top 12 in ADP. I know that there's a chance, though, that they misuse him again and that his target share is down you know, below 15%, which would be rough for him. Yeah, there are de- definitely concerns here. The targets could dip with Galladay in town. Jason Garrett is a concern. Daniel Jones is a concern. But, I mean, I, I, I still think Ingram is a, a good player. Um, you know, he had one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen. He was good the following two years. You know, la- last year it was really just a touchdown problem. You know, he was top eight among tight ends in targets, catches, and yards. He was tied for 51st in touchdowns, you know, even still he finished 14th in, in PPR points, which like you said, is where he's going in drafts right now. So th- and th- there's a lot of Evan Ingram haters out there. I don't think his ADP is going to climb. And I think, you know, where he's going, he's, he's a, a fine shot to take. Yes. I'm glad that he's going outside the top 12 because I have certainly taken him plenty and it's very easy to stack him with Daniel Jones in case something good happens. You know, we mentioned the touchdowns, the, their touchdowns basically have to come up because they and the Jets were the lowest in the league last year, just in scoring touchdowns in general. And just sheer luck is going to find them in the end zone more. Kyle Rudolph is there. They signed in this offseason. He then had foot surgery very shortly after that. So we'll see if that means more two tight end sets or if he takes away from Ingram. I would tend to guess it will mean more two tight end sets than it will take away from Ingram because it, it would be surprising if they take Evan Ingram off the field a lot so that they can get Kyle Rudolph in there. And they're, they're pretty different players too. You know, Rudolph, the, more of the bigger traditional inline guy, you know, Ingram, more of an oversized wide receiver. Rudolph looked like a guy in decline even before that foot surgery. The Giants did give him a pretty big deal. So I, again, I, I think he's going to play. But I think he's going to play over that third wide receiver more so than he plays, you know, over Evan Ingram. Yeah, I mean, they'll probably need him for some run blocking help. I think maybe the one potential problem spot to watch is if they indicate that they like Kyle Rudolph in the red zone because he did play a pretty significant role there for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. I would like to think the Giants won't say <laughs> we're going to take Evan Ingram, this tall gazelle off the field in the red zone and put in Kyle Rudolph, but I can't put it past him. Not when it's Jason Garrett. You can't put it past him. All right. Who I like, really, I, what I like most here is the later passing game pieces. I don't want to bet too heavily on the Giants, but mm-hmm. at the at the spots they're going, Daniel Jones, Sterling Sharp, uh, Sterling Sharp, Sterling <laughs> Shepard, and Darius Slayton are pretty easy to buy. Yeah, same with me. I mean, I don't want I don't want to be too heavily invested in this offense, and I'm kind of making sure I don't have too many Giants, but they're all cheap. Daniel Jones at quarterback 23. He, he's one of my higher owned you know, quarterback two, quarterback three types. And then, yeah, again, I do think Kenny Galladay is fair where he's going. And then Sterling Shepard, wide receiver 70 in FFPC best balls. Like, you know, if he stays healthy, he's a, a virtual lock to, to beat that price tag. Definitely showing my age with the Sterling Sharp slip. <laughs> uh, who I don't like, it's Saquon Barkley. No thanks for me on him in round one at all. I mean, where, where would he have to drop for you to take him? Because, you know, in these higher stakes drafts, he's pretty consistently going like in the you know final few picks of the first round. Um I would definitely be interested if he gets into the second, you know, if you, if you, you get someone like, I don't know, Austin Eckler, and then you can, you know, take Barkley as your RB two. I think he becomes a lot more interesting and kind of the, the, the risk is at least a bit mitigated. 
Yes. I mean, late in round one, it's tough for me. It's going to be tough for me to take Barkley over Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. I mean, regardless of the running backs available in that range, but certainly whenever he gets into round two, I think it becomes worth taking a shot here or there. And certainly as I'm drafting for volume, if he mm-hmm. does get around that one-two turn, I'll mix in a couple shots, but I, I can't say that I've felt bad about passing on Barkley at any level to this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Philadelphia Eagles, and they've got some big coaching changes. Doug Peterson and his staff are gone. It is Nick Sirianni getting his first head coaching stint in the NFL. Spent the past three years as the Colts offensive coordinator. That was his first turn as a coordinator in the NFL. He did previously work with Colts coach Frank Reich on the Chargers staff a few years back. Uh, has spent time coaching wide receivers and quarterbacks in his history. The OC for the Eagles is Shane Steichen. I always forget how do you say his name, Steichen, Steichen, however it is. He spent the past year and a half as the Chargers coordinator, so not a whole lot of experience for either of those guys in their roles, but there's been some good stuff offensively behind both of them. There has been. Um, you, know, I, you know, I think Frank Frank Reich is a you know kind of a good guy to be, you know, coming from that tree. Uh Steichen's Chargers offense last year was one of the faster paced offenses in the league. So I'm hoping he brings that to Philly. The other interesting note here too is that Sirianni and Steichen spent four years together with the Chargers. Um, you know, there there were uh, years with uh, Mike McCoy as the head coach and Frank Reich as the OC. Then uh, Ken Wisenhunt replaced Frank Reich. So, that, you know, they were with the Chargers under different coaching staffs, but you know, they were together. Um, and all four of those Chargers teams were pretty pass heavy. They ranked um, 11th, 5th, 13th, and 10th in pass rate. Now, it's, that's interesting because you have an Eagles team that's probably going to be quarterbacked by Jalen Hurts. So I don't think they're going to be super, super pass heavy, but, you know, there, I think there's at least – you know, pass leaning tendencies with this coaching staff. Yeah. So that brings us to the run pass split. And I mean, if you look back overall at the offenses that Nick Sirianni has been involved with, I think you see a bit of of a run lean. There was the pass friendly time with the chargers, but four years with the chiefs, five with the chargers, three with the Colts overall, the offenses that he has been a part of average 56 and a half percent pass I bumped it up a little bit to 58-42 projecting for this year's Eagles because I'm just I don't know whether this team is actually going to be good at all. They could not be very good. Yeah. Uh, I do think Jalen Hurts' rushing will also lower the passing ratio, but 58-42 is kind of a comfy range for me and really what we're ultimately kind of guessing at. I actually have 56% pass only, um, so I went a bit lower than you. Again, I do think it's because of Jalen Hurts. I mean, I, you know, I think he he could lead you know quarterbacks in rushing attempts per game this season. Um, the Eagles were. Uh, 56.5% pass in their three Jalen Hurts games last season. Small sample size, obviously. But no, I, I kind of use that as my guide for, for this season. Yep, and that certainly makes sense to me as well. On those, We'll move the QB notes with Jalen Hurts. Huge upside because of that rushing. Third most fantasy points among quarterbacks from week 14 on last season. That was the stretch where he made his four starts. And, of course, he left the finale at halftime so that they could get a look at Nate Sudfeld. Uh, the downside, I think, I mean, we, we all know the upside on Jalen Hurts. I think that the downside that's probably overlooked a little bit is there's a chance that Jalen Hurts just isn't good enough as a passer and that at some point this year he gets yanked. Even if it is Joe Flacco, I think we can't count that out as a possibility. It's not like they have a first round pick invested in Jalen Hurts um, to make sure that it works with him. So I do like Jalen Hurts in QB1 territory, but if I'm drafting him, I'm taking a, a number two quarterback yeah. behind him. 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, the new coaching staff hasn't publicly, you know, committed to him as the starter. They're saying it's competition with Flacco, which I, I don't buy. You know, I think Hertz would have to totally face plant to not at least be the week one starter. Um, you know, I, I'm semi optimistic about him. But, you know, let, he was in a tough spot last year, but the Eagles' O line was a mess with all their injuries. There was not much at wide receiver. The O line is, you know, going to be for now is healthier. Should be much better. They add Devonta Smith to the wide receiver core. Um, but it, like you said, you're really buying Hertz for that rushing ability. He had 106 yards rushing in his first game, 63 yards in a score in the second, 69 yards in the third game. So again, you know, he he could he could lead quarterbacks in you know rushing stats this season. The the other variable at play here, and, and I think it I, it seems Hertz is dropping in ADP a bit. I think people are worried about the Sean Watson because there's been rumors that you know Philly is the most likely destination for Watson in a trade. Um, you know, he's definitely looking at some type of suspension from the league. You know, maybe it's half a season, maybe it's a bit less, a bit more. Um, but I think that that that's another slight risk on Jalen Harris is that, you know, Philly trades for Deshaun Watson sometime this year. Yeah. I mean, I think that you have to draft as though that trade is not going to happen, that Deshaun Watson is not going to be the Eagles quarterback. But, you know, if you have Hurts close with somebody else, it's an okay tiebreaker. Uh, and, it, you know, that rumor has persisted. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. I would like to think that if they if a Watson trade did happen, that Jalen Hurts would go to Houston and be the best quarterback there. Because, I mean, he's at least uh, an upside version of Tyrod Taylor at this mm-hmm. point in their two respective careers. But, you know, we'll see. At the moment, I'm going to assume that Jalen Hurts is starting the season as the Eagles quarterback. And I do like him. I mean, I, I thought he was underrated as a passer coming into the league. But it also seems like the most of the NFL is like, eh, he wasn't that good a passer. We'll see if he can handle it in the pros. So, you know, we'll see. I'm very curious to see what Jalen Hurts' career looks like from this point. Yeah, I think like you said, when you draft Hurts, if you draft someone like Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, those types, you can, in basketball, you can wait super late for your quarterback too. In lineup setting, you don't have to take a quarterback too. I think if you draft Jalen Hurts, you know, he's not in that tier. I think you want someone like Kirk Cousins or even like Daniel Jones, just someone who you know is going to you know be starting all season. Yeah, and I mean, I would, th- I would say even beyond Jalen Hurts and ADP, guys like Tom Brady – um, or Aaron Rodgers, you can draft and not worry about drafting a second one. But with Jalen Hurts, yeah. I would I would get somebody else that you know that you would be comfortable putting in a starting lineup, and also look at the early matchups and maybe see some weeks where they face challenging defenses. You might want to be prepared to sit Jalen Hurts for that matchup. I know, I know Philly has a super favorable early season schedule too. Uh, you know, we've had some guys on our Discord talking about that. So, you know that that should you know, theoretically help him get off to a good start this year. Uh, on to the running back notes, Miles Sanders saw 53.8% of Eagles carries in his 12 games last year. League-wide, only six running backs beat that share. They only added, and we talked about this on our podcast with TJ Hernandez recently, but they added only Kenny Gainwell in round five. They added on Johnson after the Lions dumped him. Jordan Howard's there, but he's not even an addition. They signed him last year after the Dolphins dumped him and signed him to the practice squad. So that's how in-demand Jordan Howard was. Boston Scott's still around. I mean... Behind Miles Sanders, this looks like one of the league's worst running back depth charts. Depth charts. Yeah, Sanders is definitely, in my mind, the, the clearly the, the best running back in Philly. My concern is just the fact that they've added all those guys. And, you know, first of all, Sirianni and Steichen have histories in their offenses of, like, using a pass catching back behind the starter. You know, there was uh, Naheem Hines, obviously the past three seasons uh, with Sirianni in Indianapolis. Uh, You know, they had Danny Woodhead and and Austin Eckler during their time with the Chargers. I don't think anyone in Philly is nearly as good as Hines or Eckler or Woodhead as a pass catcher, but I do think there's a chance that, you know, this is more of a committee 
attack than what we've seen, you know, from Sanders the past couple of years. The, the other thing too, is Sanders pass catching dropped off a cliff last season, both in production and efficiency. Um, you know, he went from 1.61 yards per route run in 2019 to 0.67 last year, his PFF receiving grade plummeted from 2019 to 2020. So he's going to be the lead ball carrier. I'm curious to see, you know, over the next month, if he's going to maintain, you know, the, the, the target volume that he, he saw the past couple of years. Yeah, his receiving was awful last year. We'll see how much of it was him, how much of it was Carson Wentz being terrible, Jalen Hurts being an iffy at best passer, filling in for him, and being a running quarterback, which tends to take some targets away from the running back. Plus, the offensive line had issues. So yep. we'll see. I would be more worried about the receiving stuff with Miles Sanders if he weren't going in round four. I think the fact that he's lasting to round four now, where last season he was at the one-two turn, I love him in this range. Me too. I think he he's, you know, almost priced at his floor. Like he's priced as if he's going to lose a bunch of targets. And if he does, I think he's fine as a round four pick. If he, if he plays a role similar to what he did last year, you know, again, with a healthier O-line, hopefully the offense is just better in general. And if he plays the same role, you know, he could be a round two, round three type value. Mm-hmm. Kenny Gainwell among the backups that we mentioned is really the only guy that interests me at all. Yeah. And the interest is not strong at this point. I, I'll be curious to see, what comes out about his role and their expectations for him in his first season after he sat out all of 2020 because of COVID. Right. I think if there's a guy who has a chance to like prove worthy of stealing passing down stuff for Miles Sanders, it's going to be Kenny Gainwell. You know, he, he was one of the better pass catching backs coming out in this year's class. I think, you know, we saw him run some like wide receiver type routes at Memphis. Um, so he, he's the guy who I think is the biggest threat to, to Sanders pass catching role. And if Sanders does go down, I like Kenneth Gainwell very much. <laughs> Yep, me too. Pass catcher notes. I would bet on Devontae Smith leading the wide receivers and targets here. I would not be shocked if he leads all Eagles and targets right away. I'm okay with where he's going, and there is certainly upside beyond that low wide receiver three range, but he is inside of wide receiver three territory, and he's going just ahead of guys like DJ Chark, Tyler Boyd, Debo Samuel, LaVisca Chenault. So I think it's an appropriate range, but it's a little high for me to get excited about Devontae Smith. Yeah, I love Devontae Smith, the player. I agree that he's the favorite to lead at least this wide receiver core in targets, but I, I have not drafted him a single time yet. And it, it's because those guys you mentioned, um, I can't draft Devontae Smith ahead of Jerry Judy, Tyler Boyd, either of those Jags wide receivers. And, and maybe I should start mixing him in a bit because, you know, he, he could outproduce those guys. You know, they, I, those guys are just well ahead of Smith in my ranking. So, again, I, I just haven't drafted him yet. But I, I don't have an issue with him. I think he does have the upside to, you know, at least be a wide receiver three this season. Yeah, I mean, I have mixed in some just in case Jalen Hurts is good and Devontae Smith gets, you know, 24% plus of targets right away and, and delivers the way that he, you know, ultimately could. I think there's a chance that he has this, like, top 20 rookie season in him. But I'm certainly not betting that he reaches a range like that. I think his ceiling isn't too far off from Jamar Chase's ceiling. And, you know, they're going like four rounds apart in drafts. Oh, yeah. Easily Devontae Smith over Jamar Chase at their relative prices for me. Yep. Jalen Rager, I think, is intriguing basically just because he's going 60-plus among wide receivers. You can absolutely look at what happened last year and be worried that he's just going to be a bust. But he's going as late as round 14 or 15, so I I don't even think that you have to build a case for him this year other than it was only two years ago that he was a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, last year was ugly no matter, you know, what metric you want to look at. But he he was a rookie and, you know, the the funky offseason – 
you know, the offense was a mess. He had that he had a late August shoulder injury that you know cost him like a week of practice before week one. Then he missed time with a torn ligament in his thumb. Then he had a week fifteen ankle injury that he tried to play through. So he just, like nothing went right for him. Like you said, he was just a first round pick a year ago. Um, he's expected to play more in the slot this season. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but at least they're you know trying different stuff. But yeah, it's really just the the, the price tag um, and a guy who you know should at least be number two on his team in targets. And it's possible that he even out targets Devonte Smith this season. So I think he's a good shot to take at his price tag. Yeah. And it sounds like they're going to move the receivers all around to the different positions. That was what Sirianni was saying early on. So we'll see how things settle out there, but I think it can only help to move him around to different spots as long as it doesn't prove to be too much for him to learn. So yeah, I think late, you know, there is the chance that Rager gets more targets than Devontae Smith. Obviously, always the chance that Devontae Smith gets hurt and helps that number. So uh, an intriguing late pick for those reasons. Not somebody that I'm overboard on at the same time. Yep. Dallas Goddard, I think, would look much better if Zach Ertz would finally leave town, especially now that Zach Ertz has the bleach blonde hair. He's not, though. He's he's there. So to me, Noah Fant is easily ahead of Dallas Goddard because of the Zach Ertz issue. Yeah, that's not that's not crazy. Um, I, I think I still have Goddard just ahead of Fant. But yeah, I mean, Ertz is if Ertz is there, it's definitely an issue. And I Ertz out targeted Goddard forty five to forty two in their seven shared games together last season. You know, I I think Goddard will emerge as the clear lead guy this season. But Ertz is gonna steal something if he's there. I still think there's a chance he's gone. If not by week one, at you know some point during the season. I think all the reports that have come out have said like, oh, he's going to be there for the start of the season. They haven't said like he's going to be there all year long. But yeah, I, I think it, I think it's fair to knock Goddard a bit, you know, with with Ertz still there. I, I agree that Dallas Goddard should be the top target at the position this year. It's also quite possible that the pie shrinks a little bit on targets this year now that they have Devontae Smith, a healthier Jalen Rager. So you know, we'll see where the target count goes. I, I like Dallas Goddard. I think there's upside into the top five but there's also a chance that he has a volume issue. The good thing is that he's at a position where that volume issue matters less. Yeah. If Ertz does stick around, I mean, you're going to see the Eagles be near the top of the league in two tight end sets because, you know, there's not a ton at wide receiver behind uh, Smith and Rager. For sure. Who I like among Eagles, it's Miles Sanders, my favorite value Uh, in round four. I mean, I'm definitely drafting him plenty and it's like, it's to the point where what's available in rounds three and four versus one and two I kind of like drafting two receivers first if I'm at the end of round one and then grabbing two running backs in round three, four, which, you know, has been running back dead zone lately, but I (laughs) I really like some of the guys going in that range. Hello, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders action for you. Sounds like you're kind of draft. Yeah. I I like Miles Sanders in round four a lot. Um, And then my second favorite Eagles is is Jalen Hurts. Um, Again, he's quarterback 10 or 11 in ADP in most places. Now there's the risk we talked about. When he's on the field this season, I struggle to see a way he doesn't finish as a top 10 fantasy quarterback just because of that rushing he's going to give you. Yeah, who I don't like, there's really nobody I'm actively avoiding. I think the guys that I'm looking at are going late enough to at least be fine to mix in. Yeah, again, Devontae Smith is just the the one eagle I haven't drafted yet just because I like you know four or five of those wide receivers going behind him better. Washington football team, Jared, on the coaching change front, anything relevant to us? No changes here. Um... Head coach Ron Rivera and offensive coordinator Scott Turner are back for their second season. Last year was tough. You know, they had quarterback issues and they finished dead last in football outsiders offensive DVOA. They were 30th in total yards, 25th in points. The one positive you can kind of point to is they were, you know, a pretty fast paced team and they finished eighth 
in total plays, you know, despite being a bad offense. So I think if you think they're going to take a step forward this season, it's a team that, you know, you know, could finish at least top 10 again in plays and, you know, potentially even like top five. Uh, on the run pass split front, I, I landed at 60-40 for this offense. That's been the average for offenses that Scott Turner has been a part of so far. Of course, last year was his first full run as the OC, so we're still writing the book on him. But they were about 62-38 last year. I think the team will be a little bit better this year. I think they should be good enough, certainly, to overall to challenge for the division overall, which they won last year despite being sub-500. But 60-40, I think, is a fair split. I got him at 60, 40 as well. Um, and they were 16th in situation neutral pass rate last season. So, you know, when, when the scoreboard wasn't dictating their play calling, they were right in the middle of the league in, in terms of run pass split. They certainly upgraded at quarterback this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I still, I feel like the Ryan Fitzpatrick affection is a little bit high. I love the guy as well. And his personal ADP is certainly not out of control at QB 22 in FFPC drafting, though I, in that range, I do prefer Daniel Jones. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick belongs with Ben Roethlisberger and Derek Carr. But if you look at the peripheral evaluations, we've got Antonio Gibson among top 10 running backs. We've got Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 11. We've got Logan Thomas among the top 10. I just wonder if there's a little bit too much excitement for the Washington offense overall. Maybe. I mean, but I mean, I mean, you know, Fitz is kind of an, an a fantasy point production elevator. I feel like you know, and he, even just the type of game he plays. You know, we've seen we've seen him produce. You know, I, I think back to the Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall days with the Jets. Like you know, he he got he made them elite fantasy wide receivers for those couple seasons. Um, yeah, Fit Fitz himself, I don't have a ton of, and his ADP is fine. I do prefer Daniel Jones straight up. I prefer Tua Tagovailoa straight up. But again, I I see. You know, Fitz is going to be someone we're talking about, I think, in DFS uh, as a spot starter when the matchups are favorable because the, the weapons are good. Um, he still adds some rushing ability. You know, he averaged nearly 21 rushing yards per game in his seven full games with the Dolphins last year. So, you know, there, there's definitely some at least weekly potential in the right spots this season. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch whether it goes poorly or well. That's kind of the, the great thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's worth noting that he turns 39 in November, so he's getting up there and has been an average, I would say, at best starting quarterback over his career. 60.7% career completions, 4.4% career touchdown rate, 6.9 career yards per attempt. So, you know, we'll see. Certainly an upgrade over what was in Washington. Just make sure you're not too excited about him. Running back notes, Jared, what do you think of Antonio Gibson? And maybe the, the buzziest player in all of fantasy football throughout the spring. And he's pretty consistently going around like the one, two turn now. Um, his rookie season was, was strange because he came in as a guy who, you know, we thought could contribute in the passing game, but, you know, was very inexperienced as a runner and, and potentially, you know, wouldn't carve out a big role on the ground, but he did. Um, you know, he eventually became Washington's lead back. He finished fifth in PFF rushing grade among 47 qualifying running backs. He was fine in the passing game, but he, he wasn't dominant. He caught 36 balls, but he was sort of middle of the pack in PFF receiving grade. So I think you know he's he's locked in as their lead ball carrier this season. The question is how many targets he'll basically steal from J.D. McKissick, who returns you know after being Washington's clear lead pass catching back last season. Yeah, and we'll talk about McKissick in a minute. I think with, with Gibson, the upside is obvious because he's already delivered as a runner. Ron Rivera, I don't know, kind of – got everybody kind of lit the fire under fantasy drafters last year by making a light comparison to Christian McCaffrey last year. He was, he was careful to say, I'm not saying he's going to be Christian McCaffrey, but said that he could do some of those things. So I believe that they're going to get Gibson more involved in the passing game this year, mostly because JD McKissick is nothing special. I mean, he saw a ton of targets last year. 
but he benefited from Alex Smith stepping in as a quarterback. He beefed up that target count in the second half of the year when Alex Smith did take over in the offense. Plus they had Gibson injured. They had Terry McLaurin missing some time. They had a lot of those peripheral wideouts missing time. So McKissick was getting some wide receiver work as well as playing out of the backfield. So I think that McKissick's usage is really going to dry up a lot this year. Uh, and I, I think that and that Gibson will take the step up as a receiver. I wish that he were still going in the second half around two, as opposed mm-hmm. to around the one, two turn, because it's certainly a lot easier to take a shot on him in that range. Um, he, I do think he has the upside to pay off where he's going. I want to keep an eye on the foot that didn't keep him out of off season workouts, but that even he admitted he could still feel from last season. Yeah. That, that was, that was a turf toe, right? Which I mean, is yeah. definitely an injury that can be tough for running backs. Yeah, I'm with you that McKissick is not a special talent. I think he is a good pass catching back, though. You know, last year he was eighth in yards per route run among 37 qualifying running backs. He was 14th among those 37 in PFF receiving grade. And, you know, at at no point last season did we see Gibson really even start to eat into McKissick's like routes, like pass routes. Uh, Antonio Gibson's uh, route rates in his last three games were 20%, 37%, and then 40%. So, you know, he, he was still out there for less than half of the pass play. So we'll see. I, I think he'll eat into McKissick's targets some, but, you know, how exactly how much is going to you know, impact whether he, he pays off at that, you know, late first round, early second round ADP. And that was also the range where Gibson was dealing with that turf toe. Even after he came back, he was still, you know, kind of playing through it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see this year. I I would be more concerned if we didn't have Washington coaches say we're going to throw him the ball more. I just I yes. believe that based on the player that was coming in and the player that they would be taking it away from. Yeah, and Gip, again, Gibson was so inexperienced from, in college. Like it, it makes sense that he is capable of making a, a pretty big leap in year two. Pass catcher notes: Terry McLaurin is excellent. I worry a little bit though about his target share. I think people might be anticipating a little bit too much. From the QB upgrade, he caught 64% of his passes over the past two years. Sorry, 64% of his targets, 14 yards per reception, 7.6% touchdown rate. So even though Washington's quarterbacks weren't very good over the past two years, I don't think McLaurin's numbers really suffered from that. Yeah, that's fair. You know, he he finished 19th among wide receivers in PPR points last year, but he was ninth in targets, 15th in catches, 11th in yards. He he just, you know, he, he only scored four times on 87 catches, you know, he, he has some positive TD regression coming and you know, kind of like, we, like we were talking about with Saquon Barkley. I just think a guy of McLaurin's talent kind of owns his target share. And I think someone like Curtis Samuel is going to, you know, take targets from JD McKissick and potentially um, Logan Thomas. So I, I think, I think McLaurin's target share will stay pretty steady. And even if he doesn't become more efficient, you know, he just scores two, three more touchdowns, you know, then you're talking about a top 15 wide receiver. Yeah, I'm not a full fade on McLaurin, but I can't take him ahead of Allen Robinson in the same range. No, definitely not ahead of A-Rob. But once A-Rob's gone, that's when I started thinking about McLaurin. Yeah, the tough part for me is even if Allen Robinson's gone, it's like, oh, hey, Miles Sanders and David Montgomery. I already got a couple wideouts, and I'm going to go running back here, and I'll wait for the, the wideouts that are coming back to me in round four. Yep, yeah, that's fair. That depends on roster con- construction. But I-, I do like McLaurin among the wideouts, you know, where he's going ADP. Curtis Samuel was not great as an outside deep threat for the 2019 Panthers, which was the last time that he played for this coaching staff that imported him in free agency. But what we don't know if that's because it was a poor fit for him as a player, or if it's because Kyle Allen was the quarterback, I would imagine that a lot of it was Kyle Allen as the quarterback. And we'll see about the fit for Curtis Samuel as a player. I think at wide receiver 41 in ADP, 
it's late enough that I'm willing to bet on him and we'll see where the usage goes. I'm also watching the groin issue that has him on the pup list to begin camp. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm willing to take a shot on him at that price tag. I also think, you know, he Samuel behind maybe Robert Woods is like the best rushing bet. I guess, you know, Tyree kills in there too, but best bet for rushing production among wide receivers, which really helps. The, the, the role thing is interesting. Like usually we want our wide receivers, you know, be running downfield routes, but just not sure with Samuel, like, you know, he, he was, he played some running back in college and almost all the stuff he did at Ohio state was near the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he had success in that role last year. So you know, now it sounds like he's going to be playing a lot on the outside and working more downfield. I'm just, I'm just not sure that's the best fit for Curtis Samuel, but again, you know, for what they paid him, they gave him a big contract. I think he's you know, clearly going to be the number two wide receiver there in terms of targets. So, you know, for, for the price tag, you know, wide receiver 40, 41, I think, I think he's fine. Yeah, if you were wide receiver 30, I'd be worried. 41, uh, I'm okay with it. Adam Humphreys, the latest report has uh, him as a favorite target of Ryan Fitzpatrick at the start of training camp. That's that's gross. I mean, I I don't think anybody here believes that Adam Humphreys is going to be a fantasy factor. The concern for me here is that he siphons enough targets to be a mosquito to the values of um, McLaurin and or Curtis Samuel. And he, he's been a mosquito throughout his career um, and has some rapport with Ryan Fitzpatrick from their, you know, two years together in Tampa Bay. Now, like you said, Curtis Samuel is, is not practicing in camp right now. So I'm sure that has, you know, something to do with Humphreys, Humphreys being a favorite target of Fitzpatrick. I, I definitely agree. He's not going to be a fantasy factor this season, but again, it, it, you know, if he's a top three wideout, that means he's playing in the slot and Curtis Samuel is on the outside for the most part. Um, and, it, and it also means that rookie Deami Brown is, you know, not, not going to be part of, you know, these, these three wide receiver sets. Yeah. And I, I don't really have a whole lot of interest in Deami Brown this year. I like him long-term, but I don't think he's going to factor into 2019 to, or 2021 too heavily. I agree. Uh, Logan Thomas, like JD McKissick, he saw a late season boost in usage last year, five and a half targets, 3.1 catches per game over his first 11, 9.8 targets, 7.2 catches per game over his final six, including the playoffs. Again, there was the quarterback switch. There were a lot of injuries to pass catchers on that team. I think we should expect something closer to what he was earlier last season than later. I feel a little bit better about him after they extended his contract, but Mm -hmm. I think Logan Thomas anywhere inside the top 12 hasn't been for me so far. Yeah, I've been kind of shying away from him. I don't have much of him. He he was definitely a, a, a volume play. Last year, the efficiency stuff was not great. He was 21st in PFF receiving grade among 34 qualifying tight ends. He was 28th among 34 in yards per route run. He, he's an older guy. You know, he's in like his late 20s now. He doesn't have much experience at tight end, so maybe he's still getting better. I don't know. And, and the you know the contract extension you mentioned obviously means Washington likes the guy. He's going to remain a big part of their offense. But I, I do think his targets are going to take a hit You know, with Curtis Samuel there. Um, and, you know, with potentially Antonio Gibson taking on more of a role in the passing game. It's tough for me to bet on Logan Thomas over Evan Engram, basically. That's what it boils down to most. Yeah, that's fair. Who I like. Samuel has been my favorite Washington player at cost mm-hmm. so far. Certainly not an auto pick in the range where he's going, but I like the upside from where he is. We already know that he can finish inside the top 25. Yeah, I think Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin are properly priced. So I, I've taken a decent amount of those guys. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, Washington football team players on my teams. Same here who I don't like. I don't hate McLaurin, but as I mentioned in the middle of round three, it's just a little bit too pricey for me. I think that there is a little bit more downside than that considers with the 
whole package, including Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington, easily going Allen Robinson, and Chris Carson's consistently in that range. I'm taking Chris Carson over Tyler Tyler over Terry McLaurin. I hate him so much. I'm changing his first name. Yeah, I, I know you're taking Carson in the third round every time. JD McKissick's a guy I have a question mark next to in my notes. He's RB48. I wonder if we should be taking him more. I mean, he finished RB16 last year in PPR points, even if his targets are you know cut by 30. percent You know, he, I think he, he he could still return value. I don't know. I think his targets are going to get cut by 50 plus percent. I mean, I think that there, there were a ton of targets last year. I think everything that could have possibly gone right for him went right last year. I think he's going to yep. be a fantasy non-factor. I have zero shares of McKissick. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Everything went right for him last year, but again, I also think he's, he's a useful player and they, they might want to keep him part of the offense. Yeah. But I mean, it's so like if you, if last year didn't happen and you <laughs> said JD McKissick's going to get 55 targets this year, you'd be like, wow. He's a pretty big part of that offense. That's more than I would have guessed. But it that would seem tiny because yeah. he got, what, 109 last year? Yep. But, but honestly, if he gets 55 targets, he, he probably beats his ADP. And I, and I get it. There's, there's, like, not much, like, ceiling to him. He's not going to – he has no chance to be a league winner. But, I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're looking for a floor play, I think McKissick's okay at, at his price. That's the thing is in that range, I'd rather take somebody that has a ceiling. Because even if Antonio Gibson went down, I don't think McKissick steps in no. as – you know, the lead back, he gets more targets, but I think, you know, you take a true handcuff type like Devonte Booker in that range, then you yeah. get the true handcuff, the guy who will step in and be the guy. If Saquon Barkley goes down. Yes. I, th- I think that's the best argument against McKissick is the, the lack of ceiling. So that'll do it for this NFC East edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com now to see full projections and profiles for each of the players we addressed in this episode. Plus every other fantasy relevant player, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, on YouTube, on Spotify, wherever you do your listening or watch your podcast. You get this full series. You get everything else we do. You'll be on for the Draft Sharks Invitational Drafts that are coming up. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter as well as our free Draft Sharks Discord. So come check us out there. Lots of chatter going on still. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 